0: So it's uh, episode 19 of Political OD. It would be wrong of us to sit here at the end of a miserable 2020 and not look at some of the issues that we've covered over the podcast and see uh, how much progression there's been maybe uh, or how much regression, uh, sadly, there might have been in some of those points. We did leave the EU on the 31st of December, something some people don't seem to have understood this past year.
1: Yes and we've seen quite a lot of signs of that over the last uh, little while David because we had this deal that the UK signed on the 24th of December or that was agreed on the 24th of uh, December. There then was you know quite a spate of of people kind of protesting against this deal saying that Remainers saying that uh, they didn't support it and that this wasn't the deal that they wanted and, and yet you know, the choice was between a deal or, or no deal. So that seemed to be a rather confused position. When but but,
0: but it wasn't just a confused position. It was a erroneous position because we had left the EU. This was mm. about a, a, the trading arrangements. This was simply the nature of the relationship in respect of trade.
1: Well, absolutely. Do you want a cl- to continue to have a close trading relationship or, or do you not in some kind of perverse way in order to, you know, cut off your nose to spite your face, or, or maybe because you think it, a no deal will be such a disaster. The, you have a kind of perverse desire to see things go tits up. And what, what,
0: talking about tits up, one of the things that we, we, we did look at, at last time was the impact of the protocol, particularly in terms of, of uh, trading processes uh, that nobody was quite ready. There has been a bit of uh, allowances being made for supermarkets and uh, in terms of, of transportation of goods. Uh, but that that system is going to take quite a while to bed down still and, and we've seen nothing to suggest and i've heard nothing certainly from uh my whole year contacts suggest that that's going to be any easier
1: no there's um something of a grace period i think for the first three months of the year and that is specifically for the big supermarket groups from my understanding i'm going to have to admit that i haven't really properly done my homework in this new Trade deal. I haven't been reading uh, through it over my Christmas lunch or anything like that. First um, impressions, although it will make certain things easier, like it get you know the the tariffs issue now uh, uh, on at risk uh, goods ha- has gone. Uh, most of the kind of problems that we had with the Northern Ireland Protocol in terms of extra paperwork, vet certificates for food and that kind of thing will still be in place. So. Can our Holliers and um, other companies get up to speed in the first three months of the year? Will the parcel firms uh, manage to kind of reorientate things and, and get back to serving uh, Northern Ireland in the way that we've become so used to? How how we're going to be, you know, the, there was the rush up to Christmas of getting uh, gifts in and things. How we're going to be able to do without DPD coming to our door every Couple of days, I I have no idea, but we'll have to we'll have to struggle on somehow.
0: Well, I think other other delivery companies are available,
1: as they would say in in other aspects. Okay, so quite <laughs> a lot of them are, are take, quite a lot of them are taking the same uh, the same approach. And I mean, we have to remember that not a few parties in in Northern Ireland tried to sell these type of arrangements as the best of both worlds. The SDLP and Alliance being being two notable ones. Um, And we're still getting this kind of best of both worlds rhetoric, even of the government. People like Brandon Lewis, the Secretary of State, and and Michael Gove are still using um, that type of comparison. And from the Northern Irish perspective, from the perspective of Northern Ireland businesses, Northern Ireland hauliers, it really doesn't seem to be the best of both worlds. These difficulties are... EU wide, as it were, and they apply to the Republic of Ireland, but we are supposed to be part of the UK. So they're particularly glaring for Northern Ireland.
0: I think they'll be particularly tough for, for, for the Republic anyway, because the GB UK is not a third country. Um, so they will have to export to the UK as a third country. Uh, and that's going to be quite a uh, challenge for them, given that I understand that their preparedness uh, is no better. Uh, if not slightly worse uh, than the the UK is. So uh, that'll be interesting to watch uh, in the Republic. I think, uh, as you say, the big issue is that no one has actually been able to explain what the best of both worlds will mean in practical outcomes. And I think that's one of those things where we've seen increasingly over the past year, broad, bold statements, but very little explanation of what they mean in practicalities.
1: Well, yes. I mean, I I had a look at them. What kind of podcasts we were, what kind of things we were talking about when we were putting our podcasts out uh, this time last year, David, and it was again very much you know, th- th- this these uh, discussions about trade between Northern Ireland and Great Britain, between Great Britain and and the EU, were still in, were still going on. What would what would happen? What kind of um, shape of, uh, would our trading relationships take? And although we now have a trade deal we are a little better placed to to say how things will go we still don't really know what kind of a a future britain will will have in terms of trading
0: one of the other big agreements that offered lots of promises but we still we're still waiting for the the delivery is, is of course this Stormont. Um, coming back on the new decade new approach uh, arrangements it certainly might have been a new decade I don't think we've seen any examples of new approaches uh, within the past 12 months or so
1: I suppose we would have been accused when the new decade new approach agreement was signed of being rather too cynical and rather too negative and every time a new deal comes along there's a tendency for commentators and for people who are interested in politics to try and or to find themselves getting caught up on the excitement of a new deal. I mean, how we fall for this time after time again, we've had the same template on multiple occasions. I don't quite understand, but absolutely. What is? I know we've had the challenges of COVID over the past year, but what has actually improved in governance in Northern Ireland, we've been pointing out ad nauseum all the challenges that there have been going back decades uh, since since devolution was restored to Northern Ireland, which our, poli- which our, our politicians at Stormont haven't got a grasp on, haven't uh, done anything to reform, and they're all still in place. Not only has there not been a new approach, there has been almost nothing achieved over the year 2020, other than sort of firefighting on, on, on a number of issues, COVID included. Well, I, th- I think one of the interesting things was that whilst we got a budget
0: uh, in and around April time, which we had to do, otherwise they couldn't spend any money, uh, but what we didn't have at that time was a programme for government. So we're, we're kind of uh, running along on on spend-as-you-go spend as type budgeting, uh, but certainly no three-year planning uh, down the line. And as you say, you could excuse that with COVID, um, but really the departments should really be looking at what they need to do regardless. I don't see why civil service should suddenly say, eh, because of COVID we can't make a three-year plan for building infrastructure, uh, but it seems to just be an excuse to end up doing absolutely other all in their departments other than uh, argue through that uh, COVID stops us doing anything because we're all at home and we can't connect in some way. I don't know what their well, excuses. is. We-
1: We did eventually get that budget, but it was kind of accompanied by the whole furore over whether Conor Murphy had, in actual fact, um, ordered some PPE from the south of Ireland or whether he was talking through his hat. And it uh, turned out, of course, that he was talking through his hat. Um, So even in in that small achievement of actually being able to put a budget together and, and decide how we were going to spend other people's money we still managed to make a bit of a far side of it.
0: I think the, the worrying thing, as well, is that is that the pattern is set in terms of making large, bold statements and announcements that everybody goes, "Great, that's super, that's really great, you yeah, know, that's well done, well done, you." And then actually, no delivery at the end of the day, and we've seen that throughout the COVID uh, period yeah. as well, where bold statements have been made about spending money on on this group to uh, alleviate the distress, or that group, or the other. So I heard a, a, a hotelier say that basically uh, it was 10 weeks on from the latest announcement on whatever restrictions were being put in place, uh, and that that support still hadn't come through from government. You know, great in making uh, press releases and getting lauded in the papers, not so good at uh, actually delivering to the people at the other end.
1: Yeah, I mean, people are relying on local government to uh, or uh regional government to actually deliver them um, monies. I think they've been disappointed many occasions and there's also the kind of lack of a broader um, strategy for how we're going to stop this supposedly unsustainable situation where we keep um, having a series of of lockdowns. I can't uh, count how many of our ministers and and also these sort of health mandarins who we are now so familiar with have said that lockdowns are not the answer and that they're not sustainable and yet here we're still doing the unsustainable thing nine months after this uh, crisis emerged the current restrictions are there simply because
0: everybody is now betting the house on vaccines and uh, hoping that they come through very quickly. I read this morning that the, the AstraZeneca one is is actually being delivered to doctor surgeries at the present time uh, in anticipation of an approval. You, know, Everybody is saying, if we lock down a little bit more, we'll get through this and get out the other side. The fact that there's uh, ambulances at the gates of, of hospitals, I have to say I'm not surprised by that because that happens almost every year. And we were in crisis in the health service, if I recall, in uh, November 2019 and the health uh, professionals were telling us uh, that we were in crisis mode then, we're in crisis mode now, we seem to be in that perpetual crisis. It would be nice to imagine that behind the scenes the plans were being put in place for a complete overhaul of our health system, a lot more beds, a lot more funding into the frontline staff and a lot less uh, backroom meddling Perhaps uh, a, a, a few less chief executives and uh, extra matrons on the wards uh, would do no harm in our health
1: service. This is something new, it's just simply not true. And winter pressures in Great Britain are very severe and they have issues. But in Northern Ireland, things are much, much worse because we have had a health service that has gone decades without being reformed, without the reviews that have been. Uh, put in place being then followed through will this be us turning the corner it would be very nice to think that it that it will be and that suddenly we'll have urgency on this issue but my suspicion is that if we see this through this year and get vaccines and get things back to normal that our politicians will also get back to normal and that we'll not see meaningful reforms well my my worry is that
0: everybody says after this wasn't the health service wonderful and that Nothing to carry happens. on, as, carry on as we were and i think that just isn't acceptable because we know it was in crisis beforehand that crisis will be significantly greater because that crisis was largely in uh, waiting lists outpatients all those factors in terms of of cancer care in terms of uh, health care overall and i just do not see that getting any better once this uh, blows over and i think the, the, that reform agenda needs not just to be ramped up it needs to be uh, supercharged I, I'm talking about supercharged um, uh, situations mr. Trump uh, I think we will maybe finish around the, the uh, a bit more international I think let's get away from our own troubles and look a bit more international I mean, he seems to have been uh, pushed out to one side uh, as we as uh, you know everybody sort of hails the new president and you know there's nothing that indicates that his accusations of voter fraud, I'm sure there was some. I don't think it's on any scale that is going to be meaningful to block the appointment of of Joe Biden or the inauguration of Joe Biden. Um, But Trump seems to be just going out on a a very low note. He never really made many other notes throughout his presidency.
1: He was um, a very obviously divisive president in terms of how people saw him. You either kind of loved him or hated him. And I think um, we were discussing this before we started to record, David. And you were mentioning um, this article where a, a journalist said that really the 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 thing that drew together the kind of com- uh, Trump aesthetic was uh, almost a sense of camp that he was camping it up for his followers, and uh, this kind of uh, caricature of a president that he that he'd become. And yet, um, and yet
0: behind, underneath that, I think people forget, or or you. They they're distracted by the personality and not looking at United States economy was opening up because there was quite a bit of deregulation going on in the background. Um, his departments were deregulating very successfully in many areas of the North American economy. Uh, jobs were coming back from China uh, and other other areas. Uh, the, there was significant investment in new auto plants in the southern states. Um, internationally. Um, Of course, Trump's era, if Biden talks about America being back in the international scene, well, Trump's period actually saw no new wars uh, initiated or engaged uh, with the United States and a broad framework, shall we say, of peace in the Middle East, albeit not perfect, but uh, heading in the right direction that you would never have imagined uh, at the start of his presidency or any presidency, frankly, could have happened. Um, and whilst the little rocket man might have been throwing one or two missiles early on, um, we haven't really seen much from from the, the North Koreans over the past four years, other than our ongoing fascination with the closed world that is North Korea.
1: Yes, and the kind of internecine um, intrigues that go on in that court of, of Kim Jong-un uh, with his uh, with his sister and other kind of notable um, notable dignitaries over there,
0: it's fascinating but a bit mad. It,
1: it's absolutely fascinating, and um, I know we we're going to mention a couple of because there's been so little on TV uh, over <laughs> the Christmas period. A couple of TV programs that had uh, that had impressed us over the course of the year. I was going to mention this program called The Mole, which is still available on BBC iPlayer, which is a fascinating documentary about North Korea. Essentially, uh, this Danish filmmaker had charged a mole to, to get into the Danish uh, North Korean Friendship Society. And he, he managed to get into this kind of murky world of friendship societies uh, for North Korea. was Actually, one of the scenes that amused me the most was when they held their conference in Dublin, uh, quite a lot of uh, these guys dressed as as Kim Jong Un with the medals and everything else. It was really a bizarre event, but that was a, a very entertaining documentary, fascinating, and just I mean, it does make you wonder um, about what kind of uh, what kind of uh, eccentric people we have in our society.
0: Uh, sorry, it just it just instantly brings to mind the idea of an Elvis convention. When you mentioned that one, uh, what sprung to mind was a Amazon Prime uh, series called Comrade Detective, um, which was a I think it's Romanian police series in the style of American cop shows in the in the '70s. It, it was clearly created to provide an equivalent in the genre for the Eastern Bloc, um, and it is just a fascinating caricature the whole language is around the love of the socialist world and the perfection of that of that world and you know when there are some uh clips of where, where they have to go to the American embassy where you've got these fat obese Americans in garish clothes and cowboy hats stuffing their faces with hamburgers uh and this is the decadence of the west it, 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 it's it's yeah, it, it, and that
1: was it, before Donald Trump.
0: That was before Donald Trump. This is, this is a complete. It's got, you you look at it and you think it's a parody, but this was real. This was this was a a Cold War cop show uh, from the Eastern Bloc, and it is it's obviously dubbed, uh, but it is fascinating. It really is quite uh, quite quite. I did East West stuff when I was a student, um, and I met many of the. Sort of KGB front organizations like Woofdy, the World Federation of Democratic Youth, and IUS, the International Union of Students, and when I watched this, it took me back to that era in the eighties where these people were coming in with these stereotyped conventions. Uh, although you scratch that, and underneath there, there wasn't—they—they uh, uh, they were less conventional than you might—you might imagine, but. It was uh, it was fascinating, a uh, fascinating story. Sorry, I, 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 we've drifted away from the point. Um, uh, but talking about um, full-blown um, totalitarianism, I think we we perhaps should end on China because, if, in some ways, the Covid, which was which was only just coming to light at this time last year, you know, today they've uh, the report is that they just jailed one of the journalists who was quite critical of the of the Wuhan uh, approach and and issues around. Uh, the outbreak uh, in Wuhan at the start of the year. They've jailed him for four years uh, for his journalism, I guess. Um, I think uh, certainly those of us in the West should be making uh, a great deal about, about that in terms of the Chinese approach. It wouldn't be the first time uh, that journalists in China have suffered uh, the the might of the CCP. But also, of course, we've got the Uyghur situation, which I think is again, saw reports this morning, just uh, dreadful that we seek to normalize China in many ways. And we talk about how well its economy will come out of all this COVID and isn't that great. Well, its economy comes out on the back of a great deal of slave labor and, uh, and human rights abuses. I think we in the West need to be much more aware of that and much less tolerant of China as an economic power uh, as if that was from a benign uh, society and power structure?
1: It's absolutely not um, done out of any kind of uh, sense of, of benign anything. But um, yeah, yes, you're absolutely right. I mean, China um, came up with the idea, really, of the lockdown. That's where it uh, was initiated. And I mean, it, it's something that has gotten author- an authoritarian feel to it from, from my point of view, I find it actually fascinating that as we continue this pattern in the West and as we sort of put our economy in this chokehold that we release a little every now and again, that China's now returned to growth. And I think that's something that we want to be wary of and uh, keep an eye on because um, it is going to be a challenge that's going to um, unfold over the next few decades. How How do we keep an eye on these sort of human rights abuses and take a stand against those, but also integrate it into the in, into the, the, the kind of world economy as well. So, I mean, it's, it's a very tricky issue.
0: What concerns me most is the willingness of so many in the West to actually almost wish the Swedish approach to fail. Um, and and that, that I think is possibly the most frightening element that, that a country that decided to do things slightly differently is pilloried for not following the herd. And I know that they had high incidence of deaths, primarily because they didn't pay attention to their care homes. Uh, I don't think we in Northern Ireland um, can exactly point the finger on that front because our approach to care homes has been, quite frankly, appalling. They haven't released any numbers over the uh, from since Christmas Eve. On the 21st, more than half of the deaths reported that day uh, were from care homes. You know, we've just not protected the vulnerable through this. Um, you know, The predominance of deaths, the predominance of those in hospital um, are, are over, over 70, three quarters, perhaps over 60. Numbers released just before the break said that basically ninety over 90% of people who died had other conditions, uh, many of them with dementia and Alzheimer's. Whilst they were heavily protected in the first lockdown, we seem to have abandoned that idea of protecting the vulnerable in the second.
1: Yeah, but we've, uh, we're stopping uh, eight-year-olds playing sport outdoors, so it'll all be okay. Well,
0: I think there was one case, again, of a, of a vulnerable individual under the age of 20 who has died of, of, of COVID over this period. The numbers in hospital are negligible in, in uh, under, under 20 years old, if, if there are many at all.
1: We, we can only hope that the same pattern doesn't continue in, in 2021. Because if we're sort of talking about similar tactics and similar problems with the disease in a year's time, David, it really, um, well, it really will be a depressing. I think it'd be more than depressing, Owen. I think it'd be
0: worse than depressing. I mean, <laughs> it would be past that point. Yeah. Anyway, uh, on that, on that, uh, note. Note. <laughs> uh, I, th- I, th- I think we'll have to call you Owen Swan quite soon. Um, <laughs> We'll we'll end it there, and uh, whatever uh, 2021 holds, uh, let's keep in touch and uh, keep talking.
1: Absolutely, thanks very much, Bye. and happy New Year, everybody!
0: Happy New Year, to everybody! Cheers.